DJ and PK brought to you in part by Rough Tough Products. Rough Tough sets the industry standard for custom seat covers for cars, trucks, SUVs, and UTVs. Get the best fitting seat covers for the make, model, and year of your vehicle and do business with a Utah company that's been around since 1976. Check them out today at roughtough.com. That's roughtough.com. Time to welcome in Andrew Greif. Los Angeles Clippers beat writer for the LA Times, been on the show before, and he joins us one more time to talk about Game 1 and look ahead to the rest of the series. Andrew, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So you know how this works. You know, everybody follows the team they follow and sees it through the lens of the team that they cover or they cheer for. So we want you on because we know what we're thinking, what Jazz fans are thinking about Game 1. But I'm curious what that looks like from the Clipper perspective. Uh, How much do you think they're down right now, and how much are they just like, eh, that's one game in a series and we leave here 1-1. Well, so that'll work. Yeah, I think that it's, it's probably closer to the latter. I mean, this is what I wrote as my lead in my story was that, you know, essentially think of all the teams left in the playoffs and which one do you think is going to overreact less to a game one, given what happened in the first round? It's probably the Clippers. Um, you know, they've, they've been down this road before. Uh, even in the post-game interviews last night, guys like Luke Kennard were basically saying, well, we just had to start the process over again of what we did against Dallas. You, know, you watch the film, you clean up, you stay even keel. And you hope for the best, and you hope that your shooting will pick up at the right time, and your stars will produce, and everything will fall into place. So I think that given the disparity in rest, um, I don't think that the outcome was shocking. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we should just downplay this as, well, it was a game that was always going to be a loss for the Clippers. They had a real chance to take that game, and they didn't do it. And I thought that was, for the Clippers, a real missed opportunity. I mean, I, we can chalk it up, again, as something that maybe was going to happen given the the rest and the way Donovan took over, but the fact that they had a chance, I think it it's pretty, I don't say it's dispiriting, but it, it certainly is an opportunity lost. One of our analysts, who's a former college coach, said he thought that we might see an opportunity for Beverly to have more of a role in the series, particularly guarding Mitchell to try to keep Mitchell in check. What do you think about that? Yeah, I was surprised that he didn't get more of a run, to be honest with you, because I thought the exact same thing. Uh, they, you know, put him on Mitchell, pester him a little bit. Um, you know, he had no, he had no shot against Dodgers in the first round because of the size differential. But against Mitchell, I thought, you know, maybe this is a matchup where he could see him, and we did. I think he was the first guy off the bench, but then he lasted. I want to say only about six minutes, um, and that that was a little surprising to me. I thought, but between Beverly and Zubats, two guys who really did not play much in the first round, who were more or less mainstays during the regular season, that they would have more prominent roles. Zubats did um, throughout the course of the game, and Ty Lue thought that he'll have a bigger role going forward based on the way he played. But Beverly was used, I think, a little bit less than I was anticipating. Andrew Greif joining us, uh, L.A. Clipper beat writer for the L.A. Times. The Clippers are in this series in large part because Kawhi Leonard put on the cape and did the Superman thing for seven games. His stat line was phenomenal. How much do you think he's going to be able to repeat that? Number one, just because it's hard to sustain that no matter who you're playing. And number two, obviously the Jazz have much better defensive numbers than the Mavericks. Right. and I mean, it's going to be hard to replicate it or come close to it because in the first round, he was one of four players in postseason history to have 200 points on 60% shooting for an entire series. That's like Shaq, Bernard King, and Kareem. So coming close to that is going to be too much to ask for, even for Kawhi. Um, but I think that they can do it. They can still pull the series out, I think, if they have balance. I mean, that's the way they won Game 7, uh, was not just having a takeover like Kawhi did in Game 6. 
And I thought that's what kept them, um, gave them that halftime lead was the balance, too. You know, Kawhi and PG really got off to a very poor start, 3 of 13 in the first half shooting. But you had Luke Kennard come and score 11 points in eight minutes. And you had Beverly, and you had Zubats. Uh, so I thought that he doesn't need to necessarily um, be the one-man show or the dominant force every single night like he was in the victories in Dallas because of the balance. Um, I thought it was unique that the balance was pretty much there from the role players, but it was really the stars who just did not have good games. Playoff P, 417, did play well at the end. Does this thing store a mushroom on him? One-game deal. I, by now, I think that he sort of um, he, he's used to this. I, I think that last year, having been the butt of off-season jokes for the entire off-season, and then all season when he was playing extremely well, having career highs in just about every offensive category, there was still this sense of, well, let's see what happens in the playoffs. So I think that the sort of prove-it mentality that, you're, that he knows is out there is nothing new. I don't think it's necessarily going to phase him. Um, he said that he likes the, the back-and-forth with fans. He likes hearing the playoff piece. He said he doesn't mind that at all. Um, but you know that the performance is going to nag at him. And I thought that the way that when his shot wasn't going um, in, in earlier round or even the regular season, he would get to the rim a lot and make up for it by trying to get free throws. Um, and he just didn't do that as much last night. I thought that now maybe that's Gobert, obviously patrolling the paint. But he even felt like the shots he was getting were shots he was more or less maybe settling for instead of trying to take advantage of. So the one thing I did think happened was, and there's two ways to look at that. One, maybe he was figuring stuff out because, man, in the last three minutes, he had seven of the last nine points and he had the assist on the bucket Kawhi got for the other two points. But maybe that's also, hey, the game's almost out of reach. There's less pressure at this point. Or maybe he's figuring stuff out. What do you think? I, it's probably probably figuring some stuff out, you know, uh, you know, kind of finally seeing exactly where he wanted to push. And, and maybe I thought it goes back to what he said to us in post game, where he realized that time was running out. Like it was sort of now or never to to make, to find those good shots that he had maybe settled against taking in the first half. I think it was probably an urgency thing, realizing that the sand was sort of slipping out of the hourglass. Um, and I would expect him to come out with a lot more fire in game two um, and just sort of getting to where he wants, kind of bullying his way to the spots he wants, Gobert or not, kind of looming as a presence in the inside. I think you'll see him be a lot more selective in the shots he takes. So what do you think the mood of the Clippers is right now? I mean, they sort of blew an opportunity. I got to get one in Salt Lake. It doesn't matter when it comes. But at the same time, you know, it's a three-point loss and you have this other opportunity real quick. So it shouldn't be that bad. I, yeah, I don't think it's that bad. I, I, again, I think it's what they went through in the first round. Um, they, you know, I remember they were down 0-2, and Ty Lue said, um, listen, you know, Dallas is going to keep up the shooting, and Paul George said there's no concern. And pretty much everybody laughed at them and said, what are you talking about? How can there be no concern? And guess what? The Clippers were pretty much right on both sides of it. So I think having gone through that, um, they're going to be pretty confident in sort of whatever whatever voices they choose to listen to. And I think that what they're probably talking to each other about right now is that, look, again, six days off versus two days off, uh, we were right there. Uh, you know, yes, you know, that we let them go nuclear in the second half with Donovan Mitchell, but we've seen this story before with Luka Doncic in a lot of ways. How do we apply what we could do to that matchup to limiting the Jazz? So I think that you're probably looking at this conversation between before game two is more of a, like, here are solutions instead of, oh my gosh, look at this, we have to climb. Andrew Greif joining us, L.A. Clippers beat writer. 
uh, for the LA Times. I'm curious because the narrative when you're a long way from the Clippers is, I know they're good. I know they got a lot of talent. It seems like they ought to be better. What's going on with the chemistry issues there? Is that a team with no soul and too many hired guns? And I'm sure you've heard and read all of that, and you're much closer to the team than us. What do you think? I think this year was um, a real stress test for a lot of that stuff. And I think that you can see, by, by the way, the decisions they made in the offseason um, were sort of reactions to last year. You know, They basically declined to offer Montrezl Harrell a contract. Um, they, um, you know, they felt like when Kawhi, when they lost Game 7 last year to Denver, he said, we need high IQ players. And so you could see they went out and got Nicholas Batum. Um, basically, you know, he's a free agent. He's waived. He, that's, a, that's a long-time veteran. He's been to the Western Conference class before. Uh, super even keel, very chill guy. It's Serge Ibaka, who is not playing um, in the series, but he sort of fit the mold of, like, that veteran who had been there before, who could, um, you know, uh, essentially had seen it all and wasn't going to overreact. Uh, I think that the way it went out and got different pieces sort of spoke to them realizing they needed more um, source stability, you know, and, and more kind of like what guys you can count on night in and night out, not to get too high, not get too low. And you've seen that throughout the year. Uh, you know, they talked about feeling like they just had a lot more confidence in themselves to be able to withstand punches. They barely lost, I think, three three games in a row was their longest losing streak. They just didn't let things linger very long. And, of course, the way they showed backbone in the first round, I, again, I think spoke to something we've barely seen in Clipper history, which is resilience. Um, whether or not that shows up again, I guess, is the test now. But even that first-round series, I think, was sort of, in a 51-year history of this franchise, something that was seen so rarely that you kind of took a step back and said, well, you know, oh, my gosh, what, what, did, what did we just watch here, a team that, when cornered, fought back. Um, that was that was new, and I don't think that happens um, unless they kind of went out and they basically brought in a more stable, uh, resilient core going into this year. So the thing I like about an NBA seven-game series is they it sort of takes on a life of its own, and you look at, all right, what is sustainable? What is something that we can do better? And you look at the box score, and Kawhi Leonard and George had decent games, but they're capable of playing better. So you look that, all right, well, that makes the Jazz a little nervous. But then you look at somebody like Kennard, who jumps up there and gets 18 points. Is he capable of doing that? And so maybe that washes it as far as, uh, well, that'll even out and all that stuff. When you look at some stuff from game one, whether it's Kennard or whatever, what do you think can be sustainable and what was something that the Clippers really can't count on from game to game? I thought that Kennard, I mean, maybe 18 points, um, maybe that exactly, that kind of output won't be replicated, but I really do think that he has his confidence back and, and could kind of be that guy who could step in play maybe 10 minutes and give you a couple threes or three threes and sort of be a, uh, the, you know, the, the jab that you need of energy and offense. Uh, hesitancy shooting the ball was a real thing for him this, this season. And one of the reasons why he really fell out of the rotation for long stretches of the season. I don't think that there was a lot of trust that he would take the open shot because he was trying to find his way to new rotation. He's got that now. His first shot last night, he did not hesitate at all. I think that, again, he could be that valuable rotation guy throughout this series. Um, not sustainable, you know, I think Rajon Rondo's minutes, um, I, th- I thought that he did not play that, all that well. And I thought that was a little surprising, you know, obviously, given why they brought him in was for, for that uh, playoff. Um, been here, been through the wars, type of general on the floor. I just was not super impressed with the way he played. Uh, I'll be curious kind of what Ty Lue does there in terms of 
does he give minutes to Terrence Mann, who was an absolute spark plug for them in the first round and barely saw the court last night, only eight minutes. I don't know if that was because they wanted more spacing with Kennard. Uh, I'm guessing so. Um, but I thought that that was unsustainable. I would put Terrence Mann in more often. Uh, I, you know, obviously, Paul, Paul and Kawhi, it starts with them. We talked about, I talked about balance and how maybe they could ride the series out by winning through balance, but that, nothing's going to happen unless those two play better. So the, they, that just has to continue uh, to get better for the Clippers to have any shot, and that's just uh, the very bottom line. Since you bring up Terrence Mann... I want to go back to Game 7 of the last series. And, and he had a decent game shooting the ball and played minutes and all that stuff. But he has a corner three that barely grazes the rim. And Kawhi crashes, catches it, scores, and is fouled for a three-point play. And the TV cameras catch him going back towards the free throw line. He turns over his shoulder and he yells, nice pass. But he doesn't yeah. laugh when he says it. And I guess if you know him really well, you know, you can take that one way and it's funny, but you take it another way and like, what kind of relationship do these guys have? That's not going to help them take the next shot. What are you doing? How are we all supposed to read that? What's going on there? Uh, I don't know. I feel like people always say that Kawhi is like a very dry sense of humor. I suppose that uh, if you've been his teammate like Terrence Mann has for two years, maybe you read it in that way. But yeah, it it was a little uh, like... I wouldn't know if I'd say that to a guy who just barely grazed the rim, especially when he's been shooting the ball really well and been an invaluable cog in that series comeback. Um, but maybe Kawhi, you know, hey, people say Kawhi's different. Uh, maybe maybe that's his humor that we just don't see because he doesn't reveal it to us. But, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I laughed at first and thought that was actually pretty hilarious because um, it's so just like uh, in conversation. You know, there's no, like, over laugh. And then you're kind of like, oh, well, I wonder how Terrence took that. <laughs> All right, well, Andrew Greif, L.A. Clippers beat writer for the L.A. Times, give us a little insight into this. We're looking forward to Game 2 and the rest of the series. Andrew, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, of course, no problem. Thanks so much for having me. All right, there's Andrew Greif from the L.A. Times. DJ and PK, when we come back, your feedback, everything you're thinking about today's show, next.